What's up? Thank you so much for tuning into Word Boost. Hey, little sister, I'm Marshall Barwise, and today I have a very special guest, Miss Betty Ann Heggie. She's joining me to talk about being a lady in leadership, and that, I believe, is so fitting for right now. So if you're in leadership, aspire to be in leadership, or hey, you just want to lead your life better, which we all should want that, then you need to listen to this episode. I'm going to drop a few details about Betty Ann. She's a thought leader in gender dynamics with an amazing book. She's published in Harvard Business Magazine, Apple News, Huffington Post, and a host of other places. She's an award-winning speaker, author, mentor, a corporate director, philanthropist, and a former senior VP with the world's largest fertilizer supplier. She's been inducted into the top 100 most powerful women hall of fame. She's been inducted into the Saskatchewan Business Hall of Fame, and she was named the Trailblazer for an award in 2015. And that's just a few of the things she's accomplished. But you guys, beyond that, she is an incredible woman. And I've had the opportunity to sit down, to talk with her, to learn with her, to eat good food with her. And overall, every time I hang out with her, I just feel so blessed. And so I just wanted to bring her on to talk through a few things about how to be an amazing woman in leadership and let her drop all these timeless truths for all my amazing friends and family, because that's what you are, my word news family out there. And so tune in from beginning to end, because I believe this is going to bless your life. Let's go. So how are you doing today, Betty Ann? Good. So good to see your face. I know. How's everything going down in Canada? Tell everybody who's watching. Well, it's good because it's summer, but of course it's going to be winter soon and then it gets cold and we have a complete change of season. So, and of course people are nervous that with flu season, it does, when it gets cold, we do get an increased flu season and they're worried, everybody's worried about a second wave of the pandemic. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy thinking that this is worldwide. Like there's nobody in this world that's not impacted by this. And so we're kind of all walking through this together. So hopefully things work out here in Arizona so we can have you over here during our beautiful weather season. I sure hope so too. Yeah, so I have my first question that I think actually will speak to a lot of people and I'm interested to know um, kind of what you face. Like what was one of the significant challenges when you were a woman in leadership in corporate America that you faced and kind of how did you overcome that? Well, interestingly enough, not only was I a woman working in a corporate environment, but I was working in the uh, a mining company and we uh, mined the uh, ingredient that's used in fertilizer. So that's agriculture. So it's fertilizer, agriculture, mining, very male dominated businesses. So when I went to work there, there weren't other women that were higher than me in the company. In fact, the other women were in the secretarial pool. And so it was, I think the biggest challenge I had was, I think there's two. One is feeling that you don't fit in, that you're not really one of the group. And we all need that feeling of belonging. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, where you sort of second guess yourself all the time. Someone, you know, when one of the things that men do, and not that I actually believe this, they do this naturally, but they've been socialized to do this. Women are socialized to give compliments, to level the playing field. And so we tend to look, you know, and it's quite natural. We look at women and we say, Oh, I like your earrings, I like your hair. And so, because what we're doing is we're creating a common level field with them. Mm-hmm. Men are trained to be a lot more hierarchical. So they tend to give shots and they will say, 
you know, it's kind of like the sports dressing room, you know, and everybody, somebody gives a shot and then they move one up higher than the other one. And then they give a shot back and they move up higher than that one. And so, you know, one of the things that I found was happening to me is I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be one of the group, but it wasn't natural because I was different, clearly. Mm -hmm. And um, they would, you know, give me a shot, like nice socks, and I would spend the day worrying about my socks. (laughs) And really, it really had nothing to do with my socks, it had to do with them giving me a jab. And really it was showing that I was one of the group already. I wasn't attuned to that difference in the communication style. So I do think there is a difference in the communication style that we have to overcome. And for women that makes, it really boils down to finding our voice and making ourselves heard. And that means understanding that there is a difference in communication styles. So for example, as women, we tend to, again, want to level the playing field. So one of the things that we do is we apologize a lot. Where men don't apologize a lot because they know that when you apologize, you change the power dynamic even for a short period of time. So men will tend not to apologize. In fact, I make a joke with my husband. There was a TV show in about the late 70s, early 80s, and there was a guy in it named Fonzie, and he was this really cool guy that rode a motorcycle and wore a leather jacket, and and he could not say, I'm sorry. And so I always would tease my husband and say he's just like Fonzie because he can't apologize. But that, you know, I think as women, we tend to say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. And we're not really sorry, but we're trying to make everybody else comfortable. And that diminishes our influence. Wow. And in the same way that we, if we're talking, we will tend to say, well, I think that as opposed to making a declarative statement that this is the way that it is. Or we will tend to let our voices go up at the end, like we're asking a question, well, I really like that. You know, and and our voices raise where in fact, what we're supposed to do is take that and speak it like a sentence, like we're putting a period behind it Mm. so that it's a definite statement. we have some communication issues which hamper our ability to be heard. And then we face subconscious bias, which means that men have been trained to believe that they it's a patriarchal system designed by men for men. And so they tend to believe that they are more important and their opinion is more important. And that means it's harder for us to speak up and be heard and be recognized. And almost every woman has had the experience where she's in a meeting and she makes a suggestion and it's completely passed over. And a few minutes later, a man makes exactly the same suggestion. I hate that. It happens all the time and everybody's like, great idea. And it's basically every woman has had the experience and every man says, I can't believe that happens. They don't believe it. So we have to learn to know what it is we want to say 
and to speak with it, speak about it with conviction in order to be heard in meetings and be appreciated. We don't want to give up our empathetic, good listening skills because those are important skills for us in listening to audiences, to clients, to developing relationships that are important in your business, I know. Yeah. And clearly, and we're important in my business as well. So we don't want to give that up and we've been trained to do that. We have to learn to develop the other side of ourselves where we speak declaratively, we speak clearly, we speak with confidence and we look somebody in the eye and we don't speak too quickly. We speak with like we believe what we're saying because if we have confidence in ourselves, other people naturally have confidence in us as well. So true. Oh my gosh, that was so good. Like the first question and I'm like, because <laughs> everything you're saying in my, you know, my line of work and what I do is very male dominated. As you know, we've had this conversation and me being, you know, basically only female in leadership in my, in my particular division, I've experienced all of those things and what you're saying, some of it I've kind of come to know, but really I could take what you just said right now and start making a shift even in my work environment. So it's so powerful, just communication, owning the power behind your voice. And I agree. I think there's times too where I I think about how I'm viewed from the male perspective in the workplace and I let that get in my way, you know? But when I shift and say, okay, regardless of how they view me, it's about how I view myself. That's when I see myself becoming a little bit more assertive and being fearless about how I lead. So I love all of that. So good. <laughs> and so would you say like from your your standpoint, you basically overcame you know, all of those little things just by honing in on your communication and just by identifying those differences? I think it's easier if you find something that you're very passionate about. So first of all, I always sort of measure in a meeting before I speak up if it's something I really feel I need to say. Okay. And so that I tend to go into my body and feel if I have... Um, a little bit of a tingle in my tummy that says, yes, I have to say this. Okay. And because that gives me the passion to speak with more conviction. And that means that people will listen more. So I always um, stop because also, you know, as women, we don't get the same amount of airtime before people tend to tune us out. And so we have to be careful that when we speak, we speak succinctly and we speak that it's something we feel confident about and we want to project it. So I always say, make sure it's something you really want to say and then make sure that when you're saying it, you don't allow yourself to be interrupted. Men believe they can interrupt women and that women and women tend to, because we've been trained, sit back and allow it to happen. So I did things like I thought, I believe in this and I am going to say this. And even if someone is interrupting me, I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> I like that. Now, let me ask you this. What would you say to, I guess, that young lady in leadership who isn't really attuned and they just feel like, if I think it, I have to say it, right? How do they practically really I mean, practically really get to that point to where they are able to weigh out 
is it worth it? Is it worth saying it? Because I think there are some people who have the habit of just talking on everything, right? And they're devaluing their words and their positioning every single time they don't realize it. I have a girlfriend who's a very good executive and she said that when she started in the boardroom that she got feedback that she was talking too much. And she said, you know, how can that be? I have so many good ideas. And she does speak really well. But she said she decided that she was going to just keep a little tally for herself when she talked or when the other people talked. And she said, I was being very careful because I was conscious that I was keeping track. And she said, I still talked more than everyone <laughs> when I added it all up. Wow. <laughs> so I think it doesn't hurt for us to be accountable to ourselves mm -hmm. and make sure that we're speaking on things that are important to us and that we are spending as much time listening as we are talking. And that we, I found one of the things that was valuable for me is I would, if there was something coming up that I knew was going to be on the agenda, first of all, I think women should control the agenda if they can. Mm -hmm. You should be making out what we're going to be talking about as opposed oh, I to love allowing... To, I love to set out the agenda. <laughs> Organization is my thing. And so what I would do is I would actually go and talk privately to a couple of guys that were my peers that I knew would be in the meeting and say to them, here's what I'm thinking, what do you think? And we would talk it out. And then... I would get their agreement behind closed doors. And when I would get into the meeting, I would say, so here's what I think, blah, 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 blah. What do you think, Garth? Don't you agree, Garth? <laughs> you already and agree I, behind closed doors. Yeah. He had already agreed with me and I had already included in my argument the discussions that he and I had had. Mm. And then... Once he agreed in front of the group, it was like the other guys were like dominoes. They all fell wow. in. You know, I needed, but it was, I needed that support. I had somebody else that I could call on in that meeting for support. That's so smart. And eventually, to me, the ultimate was always when I got to a point where the other guys would say, well, like Betty Ann just said. Yes. That meant they were referring to me and they knew that that had some status. That thought leader status. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's a really good tip too. I mean, I think there's times where I have done that, but I haven't done it consciously. You know, more of that participative inclusion kind of mindset of like, hey, I want to talk to you guys. What are your thoughts? But I think that that's really good to think about it from a strategic standpoint and realize like you got to get buy-in and it's better to do it before you're in front of everybody and kind of spotlights on you than after, you know? So I love that. Really, really great tip. Um, so for you, you know, on your journey, which I think is an amazing journey that you've been on and still continuing on, I imagine there's a lot of limited beliefs, like things or thoughts that popped up in your mind on a personal level that maybe try to stop you from getting to where you are today. I mean, what, what are some of those thoughts? What are some of those things that young women should be, you know, aware of that these are traps. They're going to try to keep you from becoming full greatness. Well, you know, Arianna Huffington calls it the obnoxious roommate in our head. <laughs> and that's um, the voice that's always questioning everything that we're doing and always has another opinion. It's kind of like you get a new car and you're thrilled to pieces and that voice in the head is saying, yes, but it's not really the color that you like. Just, you know, nothing is ever quite good enough for that obnoxious roommate. 
And so I think that most of us really do need to turn off that obnoxious roommate and not listen to it and not allow it to spoil our good times. And, you know, we tend to really be our own worst enemies in the way that if we do something wrong we or something we perceive as being wrong and it may not even be wrong. And for example, I use the, uh, I remember taking the elevator and I got in the elevator early in my career uh, with the CEO and I made kind of a joke and he didn't even pay attention or even act like he responded. And I felt humiliated that I had made a joke and he hadn't responded. And so I got off the elevator and the voice in my head started saying things like, he doesn't like you. He doesn't appreciate you. You made a fool of yourself. You're never going to be accepted. You probably should move. You know, it's sort of one of those downward spirals where Mm -hmm. the more negative things you tell yourself, it's just like piling on in football. You know, there's, there's time to quit. The guy's already down, but you just keep piling on with the negative thoughts. And, um, you know, to the point where by noon, I was looking up one ads, thinking I should be changing companies. Whereas, in fact, all that had happened was that CEO got a call just before he left home that we'd had an accident at a mine. And he was very distraught because he felt safety was so important and he didn't he could not get it out of his mind he wasn't even thinking beyond that that he could hardly wait to get to his office to deal with and find out more and beyond the call for that and i'm taking it personally so you know we take way too many things far too personally and we allow that voice in our head to tell us that we're not worthy when really we should be using that voice to tell us that we can do it and that um and next time that you get on an elevator with somebody and you tell a joke and they don't laugh don't think that it's personal but instead make up the story in your head that this person has just found out that their baby is sick or they just uh, had a you know banged the pranked their car in the parkade on one of those big cement pillars and therefore they're distracted and it has nothing to do with your joke. Yes, that's so good. And I think that's such a relevant example because there's so many times where, I mean, even just the littlest thing, you say hi to somebody and they don't say hi back. And I'm like, why don't they say hi back to me? <laughs> you know, yeah. like what's wrong with me? I know. What's wrong, you know? And truthfully, maybe I'm not speaking up. Maybe they just didn't hear me. Or like you said, maybe they're distracted. And there's been many times in my life where, you know, I probably had a traumatic experience and I'm out in the real world walking around. Nobody knows me personally. Nobody knows what I just went through. And in my mind, I'm thinking, it's crazy to think that I just went through something so traumatic, but not a soul of these people know. And so you're mm-hmm. so right. I think that's a good way to think about it. And really that's not being so self-centered. That's me, like stop being so self-centered, right? The whole world isn't really thinking about you per se. Everybody has something or their own thing going on that will change. There's like a scripture in the Bible that's one of my favorite. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so I feel like what you're saying is, is you need to control that thought process and not let the negative like roommate, which I could probably give that roommate a name and be like, you're getting evicted. (laughs) Let that roommate basically control or steer your pathway to someplace you don't want to end up at, you know? And I just, just really quick before I go into the next question, like I always want to, when something is very profound, just want to put a pin in it for everybody who's listening or watching to know that 
you know, who you are meant to be is great. I don't think anybody came to this earth, was born into this earth to be just mediocre or subpar or to even end up in a really bad place. Who you are meant to be is great. And so it's important for you to know, like, the thoughts that are in my mind, if they are telling me that I am less than or I'm not good enough, those are not words that are sent by God. Those are not words that are meant for you to own. You need to own the truth, which is that you're good enough, that you are worthy, and that there are great things in store for you, and you walk that path and that path alone. And so that, Betty Ann, I think you're saying that so well, and you're giving us just some really practical ways to recognize it, you know? That's one thing I love about you, too, is when I talk to you, it's so effortless. You just talk, you're just like talking through it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so profound. <laughs> that's so <laughs> profound, or like, that's, I just did that yesterday, you know? And you kind of just... <laughs> It, it's like putting a light on something that's been in the darkness, like, boom, there it goes. <laughs> it can shift your entire world. So I love that. Thank you. So the next question, because I feel like, you know, obviously you have a ton of impressive um, accomplishments, you know, in your life up to this point. And so I would love to know from your standpoint, how do you define success? Well, I think really... For me, the ultimate success is feeling balanced internally. And that means that I'm balancing the time that I spend in the external world with the time that I spend in the ex internal world. It means that I balance my need to be alone with my need to spend time with other people. My, it's it just finding, so because all of that is what creates the ultimate peace for me. Yeah. So I feel peaceful. And so it means that we, we need to take care of ourselves as individuals, but we can't be so caught up in what we need for ourselves that we throw away the group. Mm -hmm. That we also need to be careful of, the, of what's important to the group. And so it's this constant sort of um, being able to be, to, to transcend the duality and find wholeness. And that's kind of sounds like mumble jumble words, but it really means that we connect with something greater than ourselves and we see ourselves in all of us that are around us and feel connected to them. So it's, you know, being connected to higher and connected out sideways as well to everyone. Because that's that ability to empathize with others. And, you know, every time I, judge somebody else, label them. Um, every time I am angry, I take myself out of my peace. And my ultimate sense of success is that I am in my peace. I love that. I love that, especially coming from you. You know, when you look at your track record and your list of impressive accolades that I think you just accomplished by being yourself, you know, to know that I'm talking to you right now and I'm like, hey, what's your definition of success? And peace is the answer. But I think there's so many people, including myself, that have all these other things, you know, and even what's out there in society and in culture, like this is success. And once you get that, you know, you've made it. And even where I'm at in my life, there's things that, you know, years back, I'm like, once I get this, I'm going to feel successful. And then once I get it, I'm like, no, that's not successful enough, <laughs> you know? So to talk to somebody that I admire and that I feel like has done a lot of great things, say, you know what? Hey, I'm a, I'm a fast forward you right now and just give you like the insight. Success is peace. I couldn't agree more because I feel like I've 
you know, in my life where I've gone through certain things where at that point, nothing matters, right? I mean, even right now with the pandemic and everything going on in the world, I think a lot of people are reevaluating what matters more. And what Mm -hmm. you're saying, I think hits the nail on the head. And it's just staying in that place. It's not forgetting once things seem like they're back to normal, that peace is a high priority and it's something that we shouldn't ever take for granted, you know? Because you just never know when something's gonna come and try to disrupt your peace, you know? So I love that. I didn't expect that either. And I think that's the reason why I'm like, what? So amazing. All right, Betty Ann, I think your screen might've froze. Can you hear me? Oh, there we go, there we go. All I know is your screen froze, but the frame was beautiful. Because when my screen freezes, I don't don't freeze in the right position, so. Um, Another question I have for you. So for anybody who doesn't know, and I already announced it, you wrote this amazing book very insightful book about gender physics. And I would love to have you just kind of speak to everybody and talk about what inspired you. What was the inspiration behind writing that book? Well, basically the theory in the book is that we're born, we're labeled boy or girl and with that labels, a whole lot of expectations are heaped upon us. And I think that prevents us from being who we really are. And so the basis for me is that I want everyone to discover who they really are inside and to take that out into the world. And that is means to eliminate all of these external judgments, labels, that we're supposed to be a certain way because we have, in my case, I wrote about gender, but it could be about race or ethnicity or what culture, whatever. It could be so many different things. But what I want is for each of us to be, we have a true talent, something we were born with, and it's our job to bring it out into the world. And I just want, I wrote about gender saying, let's get rid of any expectations that because you were born and labeled boy or girl that you're supposed to act a certain way it might be who you are good masculine characteristics be able to mask to balance that with feminine ones so that you're never too much in one or in the other so to me it's really about freeing ourselves to be the individuals that we are meant to be. Yes. And, you know, I already heard this. We had a chance to talk about this. It kind of cut out a little bit, though. So I think on the end when you were talking about just the feminine and the masculine characteristics and how, I mean, can you kind of touch on that a little bit more? Because I think that that's... So, you know, basically, you know, boys are socialized from the... There are studies that show that parents hold a baby girl and they say, look how cuddly she is. And they hold a baby boy and say, look how squirmy he is. He just wants to get away. And yet the observers don't notice anything different whatsoever in the behavior of those babies. So as parents, we're already socializing our children for girls to be cuddly and boys to be active. And then as toddlers, little boys are encouraged to venture away from their mothers and skin their knees and take risks. And little girls are encouraged to sit quietly by and be good listeners. So we develop these ideas that girls are supposed to be one way and boys are supposed to be another, and it limits us. And, you know, I just happen to be a girl that has a lot of those masculine characteristics. And 
it, it, if I had not been allowed to express them, I wouldn't have had the external success that I have in the world. And um, fortunately, I was allowed to express them, and I took that and ran with it. But it and but the and also we need to have leaders that not only take action but are good listeners and are empathetic, and sometimes are more risk averse because sometimes we shouldn't be taking those risks. We should they should be very calculated. Mm-hmm. So I really want us to find leaders that are able to do. Use the attributes of both genders, just dependent upon the situation, the audience, the venue, and use whatever is appropriate, and not feel limited that they're only using half the actions and attributes available to them. Yes, yeah, so good. And you know what? Obviously, I got your book and I purchased it right away. Read it because I was like, "This is speaking to my life right now," <laughs> in regards to what I face, especially in corporate America. And then I got your book and I purchased it for one of my bosses because he on on one end and he'll know this if he listens to this very overly masculine, you know, to a point where it was preventing him from being effective in his leadership role, because in, in a work environment, usually if, you know, in a, in a neutral work environment, there's both male and female. So you have to know how to be able to lead both, right, both genders. And even for myself, what I realized is because I'm in a male dominant environment and I'm constantly around men in the room and they're throwing shots at me, all of that stuff, I started to take on a lot more of that, you know, I guess masculine characteristics. And then it started to have an impact on when I was in meetings with other of my female peers in leadership. You know, I was too strong, too dominant. And so it really just helped me see the power of that balance that you talked about earlier and not feeling the need that I have to be too much of one thing you know, and, or just to, to fit the stereotype that everybody is going into this discussion and their preconceived notion of who I'm supposed to be. And so I actually really love that. And I encourage anybody who you're, you're like, Hey, you know what, maybe I am too much of one thing and I need to find out how to balance this out. I would say that her book is a great resource and it'll really help you with that. Even if you have other leaders and you're like, this person definitely needs this, buy them a book. They'll thank you later because it's going to help them in their leadership role. All right. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So another thing that I want to ask you um, recently, you know, being on social media and just in general, I've come across a ton of people who are like, I need a mentor. I want a mentor. Now, I have been fortunate enough to have mentors, you know, formal mentors and just people that I look up to and I just... I just try to take things from them. You already know I do that with you. I'm like, let me find out, you know, what she thinks about this. Um, But what, in your opinion, do you think makes a good mentor? Like if somebody were trying to find one, what would make a good mentor in general? Well, it kind of depends what your, we can learn from anyone. So anybody Mm -hmm. can be a mentor. It basically just means that as a protege or a mentee, that you are open to growth and you're taking somebody, anybody that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. And I always say there's three different kinds of mentors. There's what I call a um, a flyby mentor, which is just you get on an airplane and you got a problem and you sit down and you talk to the person next to you. And that person gives you some feedback that allows you to see the world in a different light or gives you makes you have a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. The person gets up and leaves the plane and you um, don't even know their name, but they have served the role of a mentor for you. At the other end of the spectrum is you could go into a formal program 
where you decide, you know, I really want to change careers or I really am looking for a promotion. I'm not being recognized. I think I need some help. I'm going to sign up for a mentorship program. And they match you with someone. And that person then is, a, you know, you, you don't go pick them because you think you have the chemistry. It's just that they think that person will have some um, thing for, to, for, to help you and that you can learn from. And in the middle are all those people you choose to have as your mentors and you may not even uh, ever tell them that you're considering them as a mentor. They're just somebody that you uh, get to know, you maybe have lunch with, maybe take them for coffee. You might say, you know, I uh, have now had my first baby and um, I know that you've had a very successful career as a mother raising children and um, working in a corporate environment and I would just like to pick your brain on how you did that. Mm -hmm. And that you may find that there's some chemistry there and you like the person and you'll invite them again for, and you know, follow up and ask them another question. But you never really tell them that, you're, that you consider them a mentor. So there's lots of different mentors in your life. And I call those are kind of in the middle. They're informal mentors. And I just encourage people to be open to growth and to find mentors. I always think it's important for women to have female mentors because... One of the first questions that women tend to ask is, you know, how, what, how do I handle division of labor at home? And another woman who's been there already can give you some tips on that. Yet, it's important to have male mentors at the office because they usually are in the positions of power. And I always say, you know, they've got the keys to the drawbridge and they can let it down for you. And so it's important for them because they are the ones that will say, well, let's include Vidyan in this meeting or... They'll share information with you so that you have a better understanding of what's happening and you can make better decisions. And so, and they're all, you know, that's just developing relationships on your own. So I always say, look for someone you'd like to learn from okay. and follow that and go, go to that person. And, you know, sometimes you learn everything you're going to learn from that person and then you go on and you need somebody different at another point in your life. Mm. But I will tell you that being a mentor is a very gratifying role because it means that the experiences that you have are of value to someone else. And it's for you to be able to share them really does make you feel like you have been successful. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Yeah, for sure. And I would say too, um, for you know, from the mentee standpoint, you know, having mentored younger women and definitely have been mentored, it's really important if you are asking somebody to mentor you, you don't put the responsibility all on the mentor to do the work, you know, because I see that happen a lot too. People will be like, hey, I would like for you to mentor me. And, you know, if, if I have the time, because I want to make, if I do something, I want to do it right, right? And I want to do right by people. If I say yes, but then I feel like there's a lot more of their their expectations that I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do all the following up. And I'll tell you guys right now, for me, for anybody that I asked to be my mentor, I'm going to follow up with them. I'm going to reach out. How are you doing? You know, can I have advice? And I'm also think it's really important too, if you ask somebody to mentor you, you don't just take from them. You think about how you can give back to them because it's not necessarily you're going to be able to give them the things they're giving you. They could be so much further ahead of you in life, where, but, but you don't want to feel like either there's so much further ahead, there's nothing I can give them. That's not true, right? There's always something you can give to somebody. It's just taking the time to find out what they like, what matters to them, and how you can fit the need, even if it's the smallest need in their life. And so 
that's the advice I would give to somebody who is a mentee. If you're looking to get a mentor, especially a quality mentor, don't just be a taker, be a giver and make sure that you're willing to do the work on your end versus putting all the responsibility on the mentor. Because a lot of times you're not going to get the most out of it. Usually people you look up to, they're busy. They got a lot going on and you're probably not the only person asking them to be, you know, to be their mentor or be your mentor. So um, I feel like that was worth saying just for somebody out there who that's really good advice and it's exactly what we tell i have a mentorship program at the university of saskatchewan at the edwards school of business mm -hmm. and that's basically how we set it up which is that the protégés are responsible for contacting their mentors for a meeting mm -hmm. because we want them to learn to take initiative yeah and to you know and usually they sit there and say oh my mentor is somebody that's so busy and so important how do i how dare i ask for their time i don't want to bother them i think they might be too busy and we're like they volunteered to be a mentor so it's your job to phone them up and make a meeting and when you phone you should choose where you want to meet and you should be making the reservation and you should be paying and you should come with a list of things that you want to talk about and questions and we always say to the mentors you know basically if they ask you a question tell a story and let the person of when sometime when you were in that a situation that's similar and let the protege listen to that story and see how they might apply that to their lives. Yeah. And you know, if you give advice, don't be offended if the protege doesn't take it because it is their life. Mm -hmm. So what we always say is if you're a protege or a mentee, you make the, you make, it's your life. You make the decisions. You just basically you're, this is an information gathering exercise. And you just use it and make your decisions for what you want. Yes. Awesome. I love that. So true. All of that. Um, so another question that I have for you, because I think this is really important and I'm probably going to put some random pictures up here of you doing what you do best, which is living life to the fullest. <laughs> you are such an inspiration. Like every time I see something you're doing, I'm like, man, she's living better than people in their twenties. Like you just know how to live life to the fullest. And so I'd love to know what keeps you motivated to be like, you know what? Hey, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue to thrive and enjoy the earth and people around me. Like what inspires you to stay on top of that? Well, I do like new experiences. So I am constantly seeking, I like people that are characters. I like, I love meeting people that are different, that live alternative lifestyles. And I like hearing what makes them tick and how they ended up doing that. And I guess I'm basically not judgmental at all. I'm just open and like to hear all these things. So I'm always interested in what motivates others and learning from them and listening to them and, you know, this morning my husband and I drove part of the country where people after the American Revolution that were loyal to Britain moved to Canada. And I, we drove through there and I just kind of thought, you know, what these people went through, what they, they completely disrupted their lives in order to move to follow a value system. And maybe it's because the pandemic's going on right now and I have a lot of empathy for people in history. But I'm just finding that I'm quite moved by the decisions that people have had to make and how they've, what that's meant to them and how they've lived through them. So I think that I like new experiences. I want to grow. I guess the bottom line would be I have a learning mindset. I always want to have new experiences. I want to learn about people. I want to learn about things. I, I, I don't want to go in with preconceived ideas. I want 
to be open to be moved. Wow. <laughs> so every time anybody sees all the great things that you're out there doing, I love the fact that the behind the, the very foundational principle is not only new experiences, but wanting to know about other people, you know, caring enough to know. And I think that honestly would change the world as we know it so much if everybody took that same approach of like just being curious and interested in who someone really is and wanting to know their story and, you know, just valuing them. And so I really- yeah, Well, you know, what's so interesting is that people are different, but at the core, we're so much the same. Mm -hmm. I was in Papua New Guinea and I met a woman there. In, in Papua New Guinea, the, women are have very little value in their society. In fact, in the highlands, 99% of women are victims of domestic abuse. Wow. And <clears throat> they don't have money, they use pigs for bartering. And this woman was sold to her husband for three pigs and he abused her physically, and she even had scars on her arms from where he had hit her with the hatchet. And she, <clears throat> but tourism was starting to come to Papua New Guinea, and she got a job working in, we stayed kind of in little huts, but she mm -hmm. got a job cleaning the huts. And her husband demanded that she give him all of her salary, but she didn't know that she got tips and she kept the tips. And when her daughter got to be of an age where he was starting to be physically abusive to her, she thought, we have to leave because I will put up for it with it for myself, but I won't put up with it for my daughter. And she saved enough money to buy enough pigs to give him back with her tips to, give, to, to pay him back her bride price. And then she went and lived with other women who were, had also left their husbands and they planted their fields cooperatively and lived together. And so I was part of a group of women that went and helped them plant their fields. And, you know, I just, I thought to myself, this is such a typical story that I see of women in North America. Um, they might have a husband who's physically or verbally abusive and they put up with it for themselves. But when their daughters reach an age where they're starting, their husbands are starting to do it for their daughters, that's when they leave. And I thought, this woman in Papua New Guinea, the same motivation as a woman as my friend in Canada. Wow, that's, that's a story, man. Like, that's really amazing. To just, like, worlds apart and just thinking, that makes me think about so many little things that are happening all throughout the globe right now that I have no knowledge of, you know? But to be inquisitive enough and to care enough to want to know, that's what makes all the difference. So when did you actually go down there and help plant the fields and do all of that? Well, that's quite a few years ago now. I think it's probably nine or 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I wonder what that community looks like now. Because I think the thing that really touches me is the thought that out of that, out of that hurt and that brokenness that they had to experience, you know, they built their own community. They came together. Because imagine yes. trying to do that by yourself. I know, right? I know. Wow, and I think that is something that, you know, women all throughout the world can learn is the power of connection, the, the power of community, you know? And sometimes we don't want to go through hardship, but sometimes it's the hardship that we've experienced that connects us the most. Yes, you know? yeah. And, yeah. I, and another thing that you brought, you know, how you were saying in North America, what happens 
even here is where people, they endure things and they're like, they tolerate it. But then when it happens to their child, they're like, no, I draw the line. You know, my prayer is that people would get to a point to where they love themselves just as much as they would love their own daughter. You know, they would see the value and the worth in themselves just the same way they would see the value and the worth and the innocence in their own child. So, wow, you got stories for days. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, I'm like, can I get on your calendar for a story time? Because I still even remember the story you talked about in Turks with the ape when you guys went on that tour. I still remember that. That was so funny. <laughs> I love, and I think I said I love it like 50 times already. So I might have to edit out I love it because I'll be like, she's a broken record. <laughs> <laughs> So what I've done with everybody who's come on here is I've given them a 30-second challenge. So I know you are full of wisdom. You have so much that you can share. But I would like you to try to do in 30 seconds, share a word of wisdom with a young lady questioning her ability to succeed as a woman in leadership. And so if she's like, I don't know if I can do this, or she's dealing with taking shots in the workplace, and she's now starting to question, you know, maybe this is too much for me. What would you tell her if you had 30 seconds? You will get 80% of your results if you are, or from from 20% of your energy, if you were doing what you were meant to do. So know what you were, get into yourself and know what your skills and talents are, know what you're meant to do. And then you're going to have enough energy to get it done. So I always say, Look at the things that give you energy and look at the things that take your energy away and do more of the things that give you energy and get rid of the things that take your energy away. Wow. You had me in like the first 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I needed that myself. I mean, I'm sure everybody, there's a lot of people out here watching who needed that, but I definitely know I needed that if nobody else. So thank you so much. All right, you guys, well, to close out, I just want to say thank you so much, Betty Ann, for just sitting with me today, talking. It's always a pleasure, for sure. I always gain so much knowledge and wisdom. Hopefully, you got something out of this. It was a good experience for you, too. For everybody else who's watching Word Boost, make sure that you subscribe, you like, you share this. If you feel like, wow, this is some gems, which I know it is, some gems of truth, make sure you share with somebody else who you feel like could really benefit from learning what you learned today and come back next Thursday at 4 p.m. We'll be here with some more amazing guests, some more words, some Q&A. Um, as I always say, I got your back here with Word Boost. Hey, little sister. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. What's up? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you check out more episodes. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss no episodes. You can also connect with me on social media or my website, marshallbarwise.com. You know, because I love when you guys submit those Q&A questions so I can answer. You guys get me thinking and we have good dialogue about it. So let's keep that up. And as always, I just want to leave you with the biggest reminder to keep dreaming big, pursuing those dreams hard and inspiring many.